Chapter 18 Wearing Out the Welcome Evan got to work a little after 8 a.m., and all he could think about was the image of Theodore Martin Huckabee at the end of his bed leering at him. He half expected to look in the rear view and see him in the back, or driving alongside him in the DeSoto that pulled up next to him at one of the stoplights along the way to the set. When Evan arrived, he walked in on Bill and Capra sitting in the editing room, having a quiet discussion while Bill spooled up the rushes from the most recent shooting days. Evan grabbed a cup of coffee. He still couldn't get over how good the coffee in 1946 was and offered them a polite good morning. They watched the scene he had spliced together the day before. He waited for the inevitable torrent of criticism from Frank, but all he said was, Very nice. Bill turned and pointed to Evan. You got a knack, kid, he said. And it was this kid who threaded it for us. Frank looked at his editor. Why don't you take ten, Bill? We'll pick up where we left off. Good enough, Bill said. He reached in his pockets for his lucky strikes and Zippo and headed out. Capra walked up to Evan, studying him closely. Evan waited, wishing he didn't wear his emotions on his sleeve. Capra cocked his head. Something on your mind, West. Evan closed his eyes and dove in. Do you ever wonder, Mr. Capra, if your films affect people? You know, I mean, affect them negatively? Like if they're watching folks on screen shooting other people? Capra frowned. I don't think I follow. Well, Evan struggled, nearly spilling his coffee as he stood there. I mean, look, I know movies are entertainment, but... He paused, digging deep for the right words. What I mean is, suppose a kid somewhere saw this cop up there shooting at George Bailey, and then got it into his head that shooting a gun was cool. Cool? Capra shook his head, confused. I mean, slick, nifty, um, swell. Got it. And then he gets hold of a gun and hurts someone. How would you feel about that? Evan thought Capra would just wave him off. He was sounding a bit goofy. But instead, Capra scratched his head and nodded, sighing. I've wrestled with this problem before, West. It's not an easy one. The question I've asked in the past is how damaging it is for kids to emulate their movie war heroes by shooting off machine guns, playing dead, throwing grenades. They don't know the foulness of war, the finality of the ungodly evil inherent to it. Because they're kids, it seems like high adventure. Capra shoved his hands in his pockets and leaned against the edit table. Are we responsible as filmmakers to regulate what we create? Arguably, all we do is imitate or recreate what has already transpired in the real world. Except our version is all make-believe. No one dies, no one bleeds, and yet, are we to be held accountable for what we produce? Are we to be held up to judgment for how our stories may impact the young? Evan had no immediate answer. 
Not that he thought Capra expected one. He bit his lip and shook his head. It is a question. Yes, indeed. Frank approached Evan with his devil eye for detail. That you would ask such a question, a question from one so young and not yet fully indoctrinated in the scope of horror in the world, I must admit that leaves me curious. Evan sensed where Frank was going. He decided not to evade the unspoken question. Before I came here a while back, I cut a trailer for a small movie, back in a small town you've never heard of, for a small film company you've never heard of either. That's a questionable assumption, Capra smiled. But the bottom line, Evan pushed on, is the trailer I made had some gratuitous violence in it that was pretty bad. Capra remained silent, attentively listening. Anyway, Evan continued. We showed the trailer in the local theater in front of the larger picture about to play. Evan put down his coffee, thought back on what had happened, and shuddered. It was hard for him to hide his emotions. A couple of days later, a kid sees my trailer, with lots of gunplay, and then goes off and shoots up a school classroom. When asked why he did it, the kid said, the trailer made him do it, inspired him to take a gun and pull the trigger. Evan shuddered again. Inspired. What a word to use for such a thing. Capra nodded. And you're blaming yourself for that? Who else is there to blame? He was inspired by my creation. Evan knew he was borderline screeching, though Capra did not bat an eye. A few days ago, I found ways of talking myself out of believing I was responsible in any way. But so much has changed now, and I believe I've changed. Capra didn't move a muscle, but when he spoke, he could have brought down the walls of Jericho. The problem with that kid was intrinsically who he was and had nothing to do with a movie clip. Did the boy have good parents? Was the father a drunk, a louse, on drugs? Do you know the answer to these questions? No, but... No buts. A kid who has no belief system of what is good and bad is a kid in trouble. Improving the individual, building up his moral fiber, his hopes, his aspirations, and offering him a more hopeful outlook on life is the only way to make that kid into a viable human being. That goes for a nation as well and ultimately a world. Powerful words, and Evan knew they were true. He began to pace. Capra just stood there, waiting until Evan calmed himself and looked at the director. Can you ever foresee a time, Mr. Capra, where images of violence and wrongdoing are bombarding kids on a daily basis? Television, film, streaming 24 hours a day desensitizing them to the consequences of their actions and subliminally teaching them how and with what equipment to kill to wreak havoc? Capra frowned. Television. Yep, it's a newfangled thing. I predict it will be big ten years from now, but I don't know what streaming is. 
More of your technology you've read about? Evan nodded. Something like that. Capra took a moment, then looked at Evan with sincerity. You're an odd kid, West. But to answer your question, such an assault on a kid's senses day in and day out could have profoundly dismal ramifications. Anger, despair, kind of like what George Bailey goes through in our script. George Bailey is a gentleman confronted with personal ruin and disaster. He's not a deranged sociopath, Evan countered. No, but despair is a dreadful thing and can manifest itself in many forms, violence being one, suicide another. Capra looked at the big screen at the end of the room. That's why I'm making the greatest gift. Perhaps kind of along the lines of what we've been gabbing about. The war wore me out. Wore the whole world out. Strickler, that bastard, and the studio lackeys think the world can't buy into old-fashioned schmaltz again. But he paused, turned to Evan. But I'm not buying it. Life has a way of rebounding, turning itself around. By the way, I've thought of a new title. How does this sound? Evan spoke automatically. It's a wonderful life. Capra froze, staring at Evan as if he were an alien from Mars. How did you know that? I've told no one. Uh, well, you mentioned life just now and how turnaround-ish it is. The word wonderful came to mind, and I made a lucky guess. He chuckled. Remarkable. Sometimes you scare me, West. You're strange, but fun to have around. I love the new title, Evan said quickly. Much better. I know. He nodded, then glared at Evan fiercely. You'll feel guilty about that kid. Let me give you some advice. I'm listening. Do something about it. How? Evan stammered. Give the world something in return for that pain, which you think you've caused. Write something inspiring. I have the feeling you have that in you, Evan. Or, or, do something hopeless and reckless for a hopeless and reckless cause. The more hopeless and reckless, the better. But I gotta tell you, Evan, you need to know you are not to blame for that crazy kid's actions. You got it? Forget about it. Dwelling on something like that can drive a man crazy. Evan swallowed hard, his heart in his throat. Capra smiled, and Evan did the same. Then the director's expression grew suddenly dark. Now, I have one of my favorite meetings with Strickler who, unlike us, has no conscience about what he owes to the world as long as it makes a buck and he can deposit it in his already very full bank account. Capra turned on his heel and headed out. Mr. Capra, Evan called out to him. Capra stopped and looked back at Evan. Don't let that creep ruin your film, sir. Capra grinned. I won't but Strickler is a snake of the first order. If there's a way he can muck with it, 
You'll find it. Capra stopped and reached into his jacket. Hell, almost forgot. He held out some papers to Evan. West, can you take these papers to business affairs? They're the copyright for It's a Wonderful Life, and they need to go through due process. Very important. Evan took the papers, knowing just how important they were. Yes, sir. Capra looked at Evan. I like you, kid, and don't feel like such a failure. Remember, no man is a failure who has friends. Evan smiled. Frank smiled bigger. Evan headed directly over to Capra's office, as opposed to business affairs. Evan knew if he followed Frank's instructions, Strickler would somehow get his hands on it and run wild, maybe even title the film something like The George Bailey Rampage. He was met again by the very severe Vera Stone, clacking away at her typewriter with gusto. And what may I do for you, Mr. West? She gazed at him through her thick spectacles. Aren't you supposed to be editing? Yes, we are doing that, but if I may, could you do something for Mr. Capra? A favor? He entreated. Vera Stone folded her arms over her chest, wearing an expression that made it clear she wasn't fond of doing favors for anyone, not even her own boss. Evan pushed on anyway. Can you maybe run to the commissary and pick up some pastries for Mr. Capra and myself, please? Vera Stone's face turned to stone. Is this coming from Mr. Capra or you? She demanded. Evan froze. From me, he admitted after a beat. Frank needs some refreshments. The guy is not happy right now. I figured anything we could do to make him happy. Then why don't you get the pastries? It's not like I don't have anything to do. Vera said very quickly, her face turning red with anger. That may be, but we're on a schedule, and... She snatched up her purse and swung it over her shoulder. You could have gotten them yourself in the time it took you to walk over here and order me to do it. I know what you're up to, Mr. West, and I don't like it one bit. She fired out of the office so fast, Evan was sure he saw papers fly off her desk as she stormed past. As soon as she was gone, Evan knew he had to work quickly. He entered Capra's office and then looked down at the papers in his hand. He remembered Dorothy's words, the old Dorothy, that is, 75 years in the future, at Hank's party. Did you know that because the paperwork was lost when the film was made, this movie fell into public domain in 1974? Evan knew it was up to him to keep this part of history intact. He walked over to Capra's desk, and then it hit him. This was Connor's desk. He saw the George Lasso's The Moon mark near one side. Connor must have gotten it somehow after Capra vacated the RKO offices and it went into storage. Perfect. He noticed a small niche above one of the drawers, large enough only to shove a wafer-thin paper or two. He jammed the papers inside the niche and shoved them forcefully until they were out of sight. Then he manipulated the paneling above and below 
to completely cover the crack. It was all so tightly fused, it would take a screwdriver to get in there and get the papers out. And then he heard the voice from Hades. So, we meet again, Arthur J. Strickler said from the front door. Evan snapped his head up and gazed at his enemy. Hello, Mr. Strickler. What may I do for you? Evan asked, as bright and chipper as a man could be who had recently been kidnapped and almost Shanghai to Madagascar by order of the man standing in front of him. I was supposed to have a meeting with your boss. Not that it's any of your business, Strickler said with oily disdain. He went looking for you, Evan responded dryly. Indeed. How's the editing going? Strickler shifted gears in an apparent attempt at casualness. Very well. The movie will be perfect. Oh, I know that. Believe me, I do, he said, smiling that smile of his that made Evan vaguely nauseous. Well, I'll be on my way. Perhaps Frank and I missed each other in transit. Evan chose not to say anything. He just kept a steely eye on Strickler, very aware of how to conduct himself around a dangerous man. Strickler picked up on it and took two malevolent steps toward Evan. This won't end well for you. It won't? Why on earth not? Evan lit up with a big smile that infuriated Strickler. Strickler advanced until only the desk separated the two men. His eyes, as black as a tiger shark's, drilled into Evans. He pointed a long finger. I do have the right to final cut contractually, he mentioned, raising an eyebrow. Just so you know. After a brief stare-down between the two men, during which neither of them moved a muscle, Strickler spun on his heel and left the room, not bothering to close the door behind him. Evan looked down at the desk and patted it. Safe for posterity, Evan said to himself. As for Strickler, he would remain a problem, one that would no doubt only get bigger with time. Evan headed back out to the editing room. On the way, Coop ran up to him. We're in trouble, he said, panting. Why? Coop pulled him aside and motioned him closer. Evan leaned toward Coop as if they were making a drug deal. I think I know how to get us back, Coop began. But it could kill us. Evan was taken aback. He wasn't ready to go back and certainly wasn't ready to die trying. Are you sure? Evan asked. Pretty sure. We'll only be able to go back to your time, but I'd rather go into the future than back to where I came from. Why not stay here? Evan asked. Coop nodded toward Arthur Strickler, who was loping his way toward the editing room. That's reason one. Reason two? We're not supposed to be here. We're tampering with elemental forces of nature. Us being here is... it's wrong. Science does not tolerate aberrations. And right now, we're in aberration. If we stay, we're opening a door to the unknown. An unknown that's very dangerous. 
Evan thought about what Coop was saying. Am I getting through to you? Coop asked fervently. Evan nodded. He thought of Dorothy being in the regal presence of Frank Capra and his burgeoning friendship with Jimmy Stewart. I could not bear the thought of returning to 2021 and everything that went along with it. Pandemics, canceling people for their political views, wokeness, the roiling anger and 24-7 pity party the United States indulged in. The politicization of art, sports, movies, music, Twitter, and any social media, smartphones, streaming services, and the non-stop celebration of ignorance and stupidity. Rampaging mobs storming the U.S. Capitol. No, he didn't want to go back. The very thought of it was like eating a huge bowl of broken glass. I don't want to go back, Evan declared. Coop's frustration was immediate. Do you understand we cannot stay here? He asked, raising his voice. Evan wasn't budging. I can't go back to 2021. And you can't stay here, Evan, Coop said with finality. It's not allowed. I know you hate your own time. If I really thought long and hard about my own, I'm sure I'd conclude that I don't like it either. But we have to go back to where we belong. The two of us being here is about to upset something far bigger than we can contemplate. What that is, I can't say. For me to try and understand how big the universe is would be like an ant trying to decipher a skyscraper. However, I do understand there are certain rules that we're violating. And slowly but surely, you're about to see some changes to your own physicality. It, whatever it is, wants us out. This troubled Evan. Explain. Okay, we're here, in an era we shouldn't be. At first, that's fine. But over time, things start to go wrong. Changes will happen because you're being attacked by, for lack of a better term, the universe's equivalent of white blood cells, antibodies that attack and destroy an infection. At present, we're an infection in this era. We should not be here. Time might tolerate us for a little while but it will eventually spit us out. You've been here over two years, Evan pointed out. True, I have been. But as of last night, I'm colorblind. My right hand has no nerve sensations. I'm losing sensation in my feet. My hair is going gray, and my eyesight is dimming. In other words, I am aging rapidly. Evan grimaced, looking over his friend and checking for gray hairs around his temple beneath his fedora. He spotted a few, but shook his head stubbornly. That could be from anything. Since when does something like this happen to someone? Coop asked, eyes fierce. To Evan's surprise, he removed his shoe and sock and stood awkwardly, balancing on one leg, just enough to raise his other foot to reveal the problem. To Evan's surprise, a sixth toe was growing next to Coop's small toe. Evan's jaw dropped. Coop, despite his balancing act, managed to hold Evan's gaze. One could postulate what else is about to go awry, Evan, but the final conclusion is we can't stay here. 
Evan was shocked and backed away. He saw a nearby bench against a wall and collapsed on it. After a second, he held his breath and yanked his own shoe off. So far, so good. No sixth toe. Evan exhaled in relief. But God only knew what else might be happening in his body. If Coop's theory was correct, the longer he stayed here, the more deterioration would occur. Have you noticed anything different about your physicality? And that would also include your mental state since you've been here? Coop asked. Evan thought long and hard and knew he had to tell the truth. Okay, I'll come clean. I've been seeing things. Coop cocked an eyebrow. Continue. I keep seeing someone from 2021. A killer. I can see and feel his presence. Heck, I can even smell the guy. Coop seemed fascinated. I envy you, Evan West. I'd far prefer mental hallucinations to colorblindness and a sixth toe. But either way, the great guardian we call time will not allow us to stay here without consequences. How do we get back? Evan asked. When Coop told him, he wished he hadn't asked. They headed to the soundstage together. Going into the editing room was not an option with Strickler in there. Evan could only inhale poisonous fumes for so long, and he's already taken enough drags from Strickler's foul carbon monoxide for one day. Coop explained what would be needed to take them to 2021. It would be dangerous and physically grueling, and it had a high chance of not working. But they had to try. All they were waiting for was the right weather. <laughs>